introduced Rabbi Berg from my heart, I will just tell you that I believe it was last year or two years ago that I had called Rav Gav, who is a, a very, very special rabbi and a very special friend to both my husband, myself, and to my family. And those of you sitting here, I'm sure you all know him. So I called and, um, and I asked him, please give me ideas. For, I'm always trying to, to select, you know, in, 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 the best of the best, you know, just from here and there and everywhere. So, um, so Rav Gav suggested Rabbi Mordechai Berg, and we had the privilege of speaking and talking and, and, um, and just from my conversations, brainstorming, it was, I, I knew that we were in for a very big treat. He spoke for us last year, and he spoke for us this past May also, and um, Rabbi Berg, in, in your, you're from the Five Towns, correct? I am from the Five Towns. And he, he, he very much, and you still don't tell me, you're the, you're the, you're the Manaha? What, what yeah, I'm the Manaha. Of? Mevaseret. Of Mevaseret. And um, I'll, I'll, I'll tell you from my own heart here what I've taken from him, and anybody that he has heard from him, his Torah is so sweet and so beautiful. He has such an incredible, incredible psychological, therapeutic um, way that um, I know that you've impacted boys and families and lives. And uh, I think right now, more than ever, this is what we really need. So we're looking so forward to hearing from you. Rabbi Berg has beautiful, beautiful svarim that are on sale right now. They're regularly... It's usually 125. 125, but for the Chizik mission, we are... 75, and I really encourage everybody to be able to, there's not so many there to be able to partake from this Torah, and um, without further ado, let me just make sure that my phone is ready. Rabbi Berg. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. I just, um, I just want to start off by honoring what happened this morning. Life here in Eretz Yisrael is exceptionally complex. The five towns is certainly much simpler. Just by a show of hands, how many people here are from the five towns? Okay, so. Shalanu. I grew up in uh, Lawrence. I moved to Eretz Yisrael about 16 years ago. There's a, there's a duality to this country of somehow bridging the gap between devastating levels of tragedy and life moving on. I'm sure you've seen it over here. How long have you been here? A week? No. Not even. Yesterday, you, it feels like you've been here for a long time. I'm used to speaking at the tail end of our trips. The, um, the, last, the last couple days, it sort of felt like things were calming down. I have friends and colleagues and children that grew up in my neighborhood that are in Gaza, that are in Lebanon. So it's been a pretty wild seven weeks. I think the last couple of days sort of felt like much more calm in this country. And then to hear this morning, again, we constantly need to make the bracha of Pokeh to open up our eyes because it's very easy to forget. To hear this morning that a 24-year-old girl, Lo'alenu, was murdered um, by Knisala Ir and that eight more were injured and the terrorists were, we use this word, neutralized. I don't know why we use that word. We shouldn't use that word. We killed those people that attempted to kill us. That's what we do. So it's unfortunately the perfect segue to the topic that you asked me to speak about, which is a Hanukkah topic to begin with, but the topic of emuna in dark times. 
But I, I want to try not to do the, I think the classic thing, which is the amuna of it'll all be okay. I think for many of us that doesn't really resonate anymore because it's not okay. It's not okay, and I, I think we're allowed to say that it's not okay. And if I'm being perfectly honest, I, I sometimes think that that sort of very childish, immature, close your eyes, stick your head in the sand, it's okay. It's not okay. It wasn't okay what we saw. It wasn't okay. I'll share with you Simchas Torah, what it was like here. You've heard from people before who shared already? See, this is the difference between teaching guys and girls. Guys are like, I heard this already. Girls are like, you could, you could share. It's like, it's like a safe space to be yourself. And if you can explore your experience, we can in a non non-judgmental and deeply compassionate way. Try to... And afterwards, you're going to pay us. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> a lot, a lot, a lot of money. The, um, so I'll share with you what it was like on Simchas Torah. I was in Mavasar for Simchas Torah. And I got up early in the morning. There was a, a boy from the neighborhood who had come onto the campus who was playing basketball, and the dribbling was waking me up. So I, I went out in a nice way to try to say to him, like, maybe it's not a good idea to be dribbling this early in the morning. And maybe also it's in Chastorah, but I wasn't going to say that second part. And um, as I got to the court, he wasn't there anymore. He must have gone the other way. And then I heard a siren. And so I, I knew, I knew that this was nothing. I knew it was nothing. I've, I've had this before, you know, that... Once in a while, a siren goes off. Okay, the Meshugayim over there, they sent over a rocket. We have, the, we have an Iron Dome. And I actually saw the explosion right over the yeshiva. So I was like, okay, stay there. I didn't think anything of it. I went, I woke up my wife, and I said, just, a, you know, a siren went off in case you need to know where to go. This is where to go. And she sort of rolled over, like, okay, say, there's not going to, nothing's going to happen. Um, my wife woke up the kids just to tell them, my six-year-old son, very sweet. I have five daughters and a six-year-old son. And uh, I'm expecting Be'ez Hashem, my first grandchild is January. Thank you. And um, my six-year-old son rolled over and he said, Ugh, why do they have to fight with us so early in the morning? Like, <laughs> I don't even care if they fight with us. Just, I was trying to sleep. You know, he had been up late the night before for some chastel. <coughs> and then the barrage started and all of a sudden it's sirens every other minute and the, the rockets keep coming and it's, you know, it's boom, boom, and you hear it in the distance and you hear it close. And then, then the sad part, the really sad part was, you know, people rightfully started turning on their phones. The, those people in the, in the neighborhood who are chayalim, who are in miluim, turned on their phones. And they found out, you know, we have to go to war. And so I watched as many of the young men in the kolal, the Meretz kolal, where we share a base medrash with these, you know, very talented young men that are sitting and learning post-army. And they got dressed in their madim and their fatigues, and they, they went to war. I saw one of them giving a bracha to his children, giving a hug to his wife, getting in his car, and driving away. And one of the boys in yeshiva saw it, and he said to me, Rebbe, I just saw a look on a man's face that he said goodbye to his wife and his children, and he doesn't know if he'll ever see them again. And I said, yes, that's what we saw. That's, that was real, that's what we saw. And then watching the rebbeim in our yeshiva, those that are in miluim, you know, leave their wives... I had to knock on a, the, the Av Bayit of Mivasarit. His He lives on campus. He was a Talmud in our yeshiva. I had to knock on his door and say, Avichai, they came to get you. The army came to get you. And uh, he turned on his phone, and then he was gone for 22 straight days. Bashatach, you know, he came back with mosquito bites all over. It, it's wild. It's wild to see what our country is going through, what our people are going through. 
it's it's difficult to see what's happening on social media. I, you know, in my in my wildest dreams, I couldn't have predicted what we've seen. I'm used to the playbook. I've seen this show before. I've been here through wars before. So week one, everyone has our back. Week two, it starts to waver. Week three, it's really wavering. Week four, everyone's on the other side. I've seen this show before. <coughs> but then week six, everyone's like, maybe Osama bin Laden had a point. And I was like, really? Like, that's where we've arrived at? Like, Americans saying maybe Osama bin Laden was right? We're living, we're clearly living in messianic times because we're living in a world that's so the opposite of normal it's not possible logically to try to understand what's happening here. So to sit and say that it's okay and we should have Amuna that it's going to be okay, I don't think that that's, um, I don't think that's what Amuna means and I don't think that's what Amuna calls upon us to do right now. I don't think that's what it means. So I'd like to share with you five features of perhaps a deeper way of seeing Amuna, um, because I know that this is a Barry Feldman mission. I, I know I don't need to say this, but please feel free to interrupt and ask questions. I'm confident that uh, so far, both times that I've spoken here, I was kind of able to get a word out. So Baruch Hashem. <laughs> so I, I'm, I'm, I'm ready. I'm used to this. So if you have something, if you don't like something I said, please ask or please fight. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm open to all criticism. The word emuna has five different permutations. I'm going to go through them real quickly. And then I'm going to explain what each one of them means for us today. Imun which means, we'll call it self-esteem, confidence or strength. The word ne'emanos, which for our purposes will mean truthfulness or authenticity, might be a better word. The word amna, which means to be loyal or to be faithful. The word umnos, umanut, to be like an artisan or a craftsman. And finally, to be omain, to be a nurturer or a lover. So the first one again, I'll go through them again. Imun was self-esteem, strength or confidence. Ne'emanos means truthfulness or authenticity. Amna would mean to be loyal or to be faithful. Umnus would mean a craftsman or an artisan. And then finally, to be an omain would be to be someone who nurtures or someone who deeply loves. So... By way of introduction, I want to share with you something that I'm sure you've all heard before, um, but I want to explain what it means, I'll pee, I'll pee the Torah. How many of you, by a show of hands, have heard the poker chip muscle? Okay, great. Very, very rare that I haven't gotten, that I got nobody in the room. Maybe it's a boy muscle. It's not a boy muscle. It's very much a girl muscle. The, um, usually it's the girls that know it, it's the boys that don't. The poker chip muscle goes as follows. There's two children. One's in Texas and one's in Minnesota. Uh, the one in Texas is a senior in high school. His name is Joe Cool. And Joe Cool is the captain of the football team. He's, uh, you know, in Texas, Friday Night Lights, the big football games. That's like everybody in the town goes out to play football. So Joe Cool is playing in the championship game on Friday night. The whole town, grandparents, parents, all the kids, everybody comes out to see him. The game is a tight game, and as time is running out, Joe Cool throws the winning touchdown pass to his best friend. The crowd goes wild. His teammates carry him off. How many poker chips, if we're thinking about the game of life as accruing poker chips, how many poker chips has Joe Cool accrued in that moment? Uh, let's call it a million, right? A moment that he's never going to forget for the rest of his life. 
The next day, they have the big parade, go down Main Street, everybody comes out to see him. He's riding in the back of his pickup truck, right? Everyone's cheering his name as he goes by. Every little kid wants to be him, right? For those from the five towns, picture Central Avenue, right? There's all the uh, sidewalk sales, everybody selling things, right? I just, I just missed it. It's funny, the things that come back to me. I haven't thought about that sidewalk sale in years. I just, I just remember, I remember like people going crazy about the sidewalks. I've never been there in my life. I'm old enough to remember Sopras. You know what I'm saying? King David. So I'm holding pre-sidewalk sale days. So Joe Cool's going down Main Street. Every kid wants to be him. 500,000 poker chips. The next night is prom. And Joe Cool wins prom king. And his girlfriend wins prom queen. So let's say that Joe Cool has accrued by Monday morning, we'll call it 2 million poker chips, to be conservative. Now Joe Cool is sitting in the classroom. The teacher puts a problem on the board. And Joe thinks he might know the answer to the question. But if he's wrong, he's going to be really wrong, and everybody's going to laugh at him. Does Joe Cool raise his hand and take the chance or not? Yes, absolutely. So, different ways of thinking about it. One way is... By the way, don't, okay, don't, don't take this the wrong way. The answers to these questions reveal more about you than it does about the story. And no, we always have this. We always have this. Always people go like, no, because people, sometimes people who are at the top, even if you have two million poker chips, they know that being at the top of the totem pole, it's a long way to the ground. And so I actually had a Talmud years ago in NCSY Kolel who was like the coolest kid in Kolel and everybody wanted to be him. But I saw this kid had like very little in the tank. And one time I gave a share about this. I said, you think it's easy to be the cool kid? It's very hard to be the cool kid. Because you make one mistake and you're not the cool kid anymore. It's a big fall. And this kid was like, in shear, he was like this. He was like, and afterwards he came to speak to me. And he's like, that share was for me, right? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> you know, like usually I say I'm speaking to the group and I lie about it. I was like, no, it's, it's right for you. He's this amazing kid, but he's living terrified. And everybody wants to be him and he's trying to run away from who he is. So... Generally, we would say, it's okay. Let's say everybody laughs at him. He loses 10,000 poker chips. The guy just made 2 million poker chips. He's fine. You can take that risk. If you have a lot of money in the bank, you can afford to take a risk. You can afford to invest five, ten thousand dollars $10,000. And hey, maybe you get it right. There's another kid whose name is Davy the Learning Disabled Kid. Davy the Learning Disabled Kid grows up in Minnesota. Nicest kid. He's like 10 years old. He's a sweetheart of a kid. His parents are amazing, his mother in specific. It's cold in Minnesota. It's cold in Minnesota. And he wakes up in the morning and his, he sees that his parents, his mother has laid out his pants and his shirt on the radiator so that it'll be warm when he puts it on, right? There's no better feeling than putting on clothing that comes straight out of the dryer, right? So, by the way, that was amazing. Well, you know how many people in the room just went like this? Oh. <laughs> It's like, it's so good that we, it's like, you know how like people, like when they remember a meal, they're like, oh, that was a good meal. Like you just did that with the dryer, right? <laughs> Something to think about. So, so he rolls out of bed. He sees, he sees that his mother put the clothing on the dryer and he's like, wow, my mother loves me. 10,000 poker chips. That's amazing, right? He goes downstairs and he smells that his mother is making blueberry pancakes. And Davy, the learning disabled kid, loves blueberry pancakes. And his mother's doing it because she knows that school is hard for him. Another 10,000 poker chips. He walks into the kitchen and he sees that his mother put the maple syrup on the stove so that she shouldn't pour the cold maple syrup 
onto the pancake cooling it off. This is an amazing mother. None of us are really like this, by the way, right? Like, all of you are hearing that story going, I have kids and I have no time to do that and don't make me feel bad. Like, okay, but say that's your own stuff, yeah? But let's say in the muscle, that's what this mother did. So he's got 30,000 poker chips before he gets to school, right? He gets on the bus, he walks into the bus, and the bully in the back of the bus calls out, losers on board. He lost 50,000 poker chips in that moment. He's starting his day at a deficit. So how does Davy, the learning disabled kid, handle the problem on the board? Right? One of two options. Either he says, there's no way I'm going to raise my hand because there's nothing I could possibly do to get that poker chip back. I just have to be quiet and go through life being very quiet. And we all know children like this, right? These kids who were amazing kids who were like, Three-year-olds, they were vivacious, they were alive, right? And then when they come to school, they just get beaten to death, right? It's hard to watch. So very often those kids will be quiet. Or alternatively, and this is even worse, those kids will play the game of life completely recklessly because if I've got nothing left to lose, I can do whatever I want, right? And so those kids will very often be the kids that turn to drugs, to drinking, to all those types of coping mechanisms to deal with the fact that I just can't possibly handle life. The poker chip muscle is, is a really great muscle because that's really what almost every one of us are going through, right? Do we have enough in the tank to be able to make withdrawals, right? So I don't know how many, I, I know that this is like a popular thing to say. I don't know if you've ever said these words before. Have you ever gotten to a place where you just turn to your husband or to your friend if you can't say it to your husband and you just go, I'm done? Have those words ever come out of your mouth? I've, I've been studying your half of the species, by the way. Come out my entire life. <laughs> Men don't say that, by the way. Men don't say I'm done. They just go, they just like, like explode with anger. But it's the same, it's the same concept, right? Right, whatever, whatever it is they do, or they get very quiet and they go into their caves, right? Which is the flip side of anger. That's just bottled up. That's just anger waiting to become rage, right? But it's, when, when people say I'm done, what they really mean to say is I've got nothing left in the tank. I got up early in the morning with the kids. I worked all day. The kids came home. My teenage daughter told me that I'm not enough, even though I've been spending my entire day running around for her, right? That, that withdrawal was massive, right? And then you get to, by the time you get to the night, you're like, I'm, I'm exhausted. I can't do this anymore. I've got nothing left in the thing. I'm done. Do that for a week, a month, a year, right? There's a reason that we're as drained as we are. What's the secret to poker chips? Everyone has their, like, vision of what the secret to poker chips is. But really, really, like, there's nothing you can do to accrue poker chips. Because in this muscle, by definition, there's a flaw. When we think about, you know, like, let's say the game of life as currency, so then you're always in a state of, like, deposits and withdrawals, deposits and withdrawals, right? So you're never really balanced. You're never really, like, okay. In fact, if you think about our lives, you would need to have trillions of poker chips to be a Jewish mother, no? Like, to handle what we handle, to think about the mortgage and the kids and my husband and my life, this thing that I'm supposed to have, right? Like... You would need a massive amount of poker chips. You would need incredible investments to be able to like, match the amount of withdrawals. And so what happened? The buzzword became, and this is, I'm not saying it's wrong, but it's a little bit wrong. The buzzword became about self-care. As if there's like, if I'll only take care of myself enough, if I'll only have this many deposits, then the withdrawals will matter less. But then what happens is, then you end up getting called selfish, right? Because it's like... Well, no, I'm involved in self-care because I'm exhausted. Well, you're supposed to be doing this, right? And you're still living within that tension. Is there a way of getting off the train? Is there a way of saying, like, I can live a balanced life, and I don't need to have 
these constant deposits because I don't constantly have withdrawals? And I think the answer to that question is Amuna, and I'm going to walk through each one of these things. This is what it means, Amuna walking. You know, we talk a lot about like the concept of Amuna. What we're talking about today is Amuna walking. The concept, the fundamental concept of Amuna is as follows. You have an infinite amount of poker chips. What you are is a godly soul. That's not something you have. That's what you are fundamentally. Right? If we think about, let's say, using IFS language. Anyone here familiar with IFS? IFS is something called internal family systems. It's a way of seeing the self. Right? So if you think about what is the self versus what are your parts, the self is the godly soul. That's what you are. Right? So that knowledge, that deeply embedded knowledge that I am a godly soul means what? If I am a godly soul, that means I have an infinite amount in the tank. If HaKadosh Baruch Hu is infinite, that means that I'm holding within me an infinite amount within my tank. Right. In other words, the, when we speak about Amuna, we don't mean some flighty like, I believe. No, that's not what we're talking about. Amuna is a deep knowledge that only comes with real meditation. And I don't mean meditation like, you know, like closing your eyes meditation. I mean like a real deep focus every single day that I am a godly soul. And once you have that knowledge, you're no longer in the parsha of deposits because I have everything I could possibly have. And I'm also no longer in the, of, in the parsha of withdrawal. You can't withdraw from the infinite. It doesn't even make any sense. Like, let's unpack this for a second. If you have an infinite amount of anything, what does infinite mean? Infinite means beyond the realm of time and space. So if you have a lot, or if you have the most, you're still talking about, I can make a deposit and I can make a withdrawal. Infinite means beyond time and space. You're not making deposits and you're not making withdrawals. You're off the system. You're off the grid. You've risen above it. Now, that's a big thing to say, and I like what you said before, right? Because... It's, it's a lifetime achievement award. This is not like something you're going to walk out of this year and you're going to automatically know, hey, I have an infinite amount of godliness inside of me, so I'm, I'm, I'm out of the game. No, this is, this is something you spend the next 30, 40 years working on. But I want to tell you what the nafkaminas are. There's five practical differences of knowing how to live your life this way. Let's start with the basic. The basic is self-esteem. Think about this not for yourselves for a moment. Let's think about it for our children. There's a sad day, I, I'm sure you've seen this, uh, there's a sad day in every parent's life. If you have daughters, then you'll know something about this day. It's the day that our daughters trade authenticity for people-pleasing. So I have a daughter who is now nine years old, and she loves unicorns. And growing up, everything in her life was unicorns. It's just... Like, I would buy her unicorn watches and unicorn... She didn't have any money. I bought her a unicorn wallet, right? Unicorn stickers for her bedroom. Then she turns seven years old. She goes to first grade, and she has to get a new knapsack, right? That's like a rite of passage that every kid goes through. Or first grade, you get your new knapsack. And she says to me, Abba, I don't want a, uh, I don't want a unicorn knapsack because unicorns are for babies. Now, I know this kid still loves unicorns. <coughs> but what is she saying? She's saying my sense of self, which makes sense at six years old, seven years old, my sense of self is not anchored enough to know that I can be okay without having the external validation of my friends saying, you're okay. Why is it so painful for kids that are isolated? Remember in ninth grade when, the, like when you were first coming from eighth grade to ninth grade and the girls were like figuring out which group they belong to? Have you seen this show before? It doesn't right? stop. It doesn't stop? 
it seems to me that ninth grade. It, it, it seems to me ninth grade is like the worst is like the worst time for this, right? I'm not sure if my friends from eighth grade are still my friends anymore, right? And you're going through that thing. There's a tremendous amount of externalization of I'm not enough for myself. I need you to be with me in order to let me know that I'm okay. What would we want for our children? Right. Can, right. Can you be confident enough not to be able to wither when you're criticized, right? Not to be able to be desperate for validation, just to be able to say, I am enough for myself and this is who I am. That's what we want for our children. Same thing in our marriages, right? right? My, I did something that my husband doesn't like. Am I still okay? Right? If the answer is, Right, that codependent type of I'm not okay unless he's okay and he's not okay, so I'm not okay. Right, so then I'm drawing power from outside of myself. I'm trying to make that, I'm trying to draw from him to make a deposit within myself so that when he makes a withdrawal, everything is still okay. Right, Emuna means I'm confident and capable within who I am. I'm okay. I am enough. What would it look like to have Emuna in times of darkness? I just want to say this because it, I think it's very real for everybody. The whole world right now, when you look at it, you pay attention, if you're, if, you're, if you're on social media, if you're watching the news, if you're looking at people marching in the streets, what's the world telling us right now? What's the world telling the Jewish people? This is, this is a traumatic time period for all of Pali Israel. What are we being told? Yeah. There's no love for us. There's no, you have no place in our world. We're not interested in you. Right? If people can march down the street in Madison, Wisconsin with Nazi flags, right? If, if people are posting, you know, ripping down posters and, and, I mean, the irony of like, well, wait a second. We're returning the hostages, so we're the good guys. But three weeks ago, you told us we never took the hostages to begin with, right? And it's like, we don't even know what you're saying anymore, but we know this. We know, and Sonny Perlman recently spoke about this. Anyone here know Sonny Perlman? Sonny Perlman was originally from the Five Towns. He's the founder of Our Place. He was on a podcast recently. And Sani spoke about this. He said, trauma is anything that tells you that you're not loved. And that's what we're being told right now. And so there's a sense of this withering Jew, you know, this like cowardly type of, I'm not enough for myself, I have to be quiet. I'm, I'm going to America right after Hanukkah. And I had a question. Will I go to certain places, let's say, for example, Detroit? Will I feel comfortable going to Detroit? And the answer was, no, I won't feel comfortable going to Detroit. I don't feel comfortable walking through the airport in my yarmulke. So I'm not going to Detroit. I, made a I sent a different person to Detroit. They felt comfortable to go to Detroit. I'm not comfortable going to Detroit. I won't go anywhere where I can't be a proud Jew. I'm not going to wither. Yeah? Don't go to Seattle. It's the worst. Right. Don't. You're, from, you're from Seattle? Yeah. So I, I, you know, I have a good friend. I, I have a good friend whose name is Ari Hoffman. Oh, I know Ari. Okay. Ari Hoffman and I go back, you know, 25 years ago. Okay. And uh, yeah, from what I see, from what Ari's posting, yeah. Seattle seems yeah. crazy. I, I, I am I am going to Los Angeles. I am going to Los Angeles. But honestly, I'm 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 not nervous. I'm not coward. I'm like I'm not a coward here. But I'm not trying to get the world to like me anymore either. I'm just going to go where I am, and if people like me, then fine. But there's this need. You see it. These people like posting on social media, like, look which celebrity supports Israel. Why do we care? Why do we care? What is that need that we have to be drawing power from the outside? That's the darkness. Right? To find Amuna in the darkness means there's all this darkness around me, but I'm perfectly rooted within myself. Yeah? Okay. Please. So, 
In my workplace, I'm like the only Jewish. Where do you work? In the urban care, as a nurse practitioner. Okay. In my old workplace, I have a lot of Jewish coworkers. Right. Um, my bosses are very understanding with my culture and strong chin, but I planned on coming out of the ship before the war happened, and then once everything happened, I thought, I thought, um, you know, I said, you know, it's before coming here, and like she makes a joke, like, oh, I'm not being your ass anymore, you know, joke, joking, right? And it's yeah, really ha, ha. it's a great joke. By the way, you would never be able to, I just want to point, I don't mean to interrupt you, you would never be able to do that on the other side. You realize if if we would say a joke like that. She said, I'll I'll protect you here in America, but you won't know where to go. Yeah, okay. Say there. No problem. And I have an old coworker who is completely pro-Palestine, posting all over social media, and she's a, you know, husband's a big person, he was a big, um, you know, manager in like the company, the house of some like a director of medical, and it's very, like, she was a, a person who went on, she was like, the courage, and, and, and you see that she was from, so going to work, it's very hard and painful, and I'm very vocal about, like, being proud and Jewish, and very vocal about, you know, the truth about what happens. Is that the wrong, is that the wrong mindset? Am I, like, I'm very proud. I don't mind, like, I want to wear my nose to work. I don't mind. People hate me, that's fine, but, I want people to see the truth. So is that the wrong? So you're actually, your question relates to the next one we're going to do. So let's hit pause on it. And I'll tell you what, I think the answer will hopefully become a little bit more clear. But at least just to initially answer your question, right, there's a difference between I'm proudly Jewish, right, which is what we're going to speak about next, versus I need you to like me, right? That, and, and it's internal, right? On the outside, you might not be able to tell the difference. There are some people that they're like, they have like this hasbara need to like prove to the world that everything that's happening on our side is justified. I have no need to justify this. I'm not interested in justifying this to you. And probably I'm never going to win any debate against you anyway. You know what I mean? So I'll be who I am and you can be who you are, but I'm not, I'm not pulling from you. Does that make sense? <coughs> Do you like disagree with the people that are like, like, like Ned was Shapiro, who's very vocal, um, and you know, politically... You know, these, these words, there, there is that, like, yeah. you disagree with people that, that are... No, not at all. Not at all. It's awesome to get out there and to say something that's real. The question is, where is it coming from, right? Um, I, I'm, I'm not going to talk about Ben Shapiro just because I don't know him at all. Yeah, but, but I think it's great to do that. But the, the real Hasbara is, there is a God. There was a man whose name was Abraham. God gave this land to Abraham. We are his children. This is our land. It's the first Rashi that we, you know, that we speak about. So if we're spending our time doing it because this is our opportunity to be in our Lagayim, if we're doing it because we're Jewish and I want you to know that this is a beautiful country where we, we value people and we value life and we're spreading that message to the world, then fine. But what very often happens is that we post something, right, or we'll say something and then it's just like, a shouting match in the echo chamber of the insanity of social media today. So I wonder why people are doing that. Are they doing that because they feel the need to stand up and be proudly Jewish? Could very well be. Are they doing it because they want to say, look, we need to have, let's say, Alpidar Khatava, political power from America, right? So speaking truth to power is an important part, right? That's, that's great. I think a lot of people are so hurt by what we're hearing that we're like, shoot, what happens? Like, what, what happens now, right? Like, where are we going to go, right? There's this question of, like, I don't belong, so I need you to like me, 
right? And when we have, we saw in Teaneck, I think just yesterday, there was this big walkout in a public school in Teaneck, this pro-Palestinian walkout. I think it's scary for people in Teaneck to see that that would happen in Teaneck. You know, like, I don't know if there's public school kids left in the five towns, but I think if they did have a walkout, it would be like, what in the world are we talking about? This is crazy. We're, we're, I, look, I grew up, my rebellion always told me the Holocaust could happen again, and honestly, I thought my rebellion were crazy. Right? And I have, like, old school, like, you know, European rebellion who were like, you think you're safe in America, and I was like, you're too old to understand the new reality. And it turns out I was too young to appreciate they were right. right? But there's a deep feeling of this doesn't feel okay. So I have a desperation, a need, for, a need to be liked. Emunah means I have enough in the tank. I don't need to be liked. I'm okay for who I, for who I am. I'm proud to be myself. Does that make sense? Yeah. Well, let's say I have a lot of uneducated, low or classical or, mm-hmm. or just not educated non-Jews that are potentially. Right. And well, because I have it, I have it, but this is what I wear. Do I sit here and like spend the time? And yeah. Try to explain it because I'm doing it at a place of like being proud. I'm not doing it at a place right. of so like, then, I don't care if it's friends with me. Yeah. <laughs> I, I would tell you to trust yourself, meaning the self has an intuition of what it knows it needs to do. And if your self is telling you this is an opportunity to be in our lagayim and to share with them, hey, I think you're just getting this wrong because you're not exposed to the truth, that's beautiful. I think that subtlety, though, of am I pulling from you or am I giving to you, I think that's everything. It's by the same thing with our children, right? Like, when we have to punish our teenage daughter or son, and we know what they're going to be saying and doing after we punish them, right? Like, and we say, like, look, you broke curfew, so now you're going to have an early curfew for a week, and it's like, I don't understand why you're so much worse of a parent. Do you don't understand? That parent does nothing. She's the much better parent, right? Like, okay, so, like, that need to have your child like you could very often create a, a barrier to providing appropriate boundaries for your children, right? So it's that very subtle difference. Okay, let's move on to the next one, which is authenticity. So self-esteem would be the first, now we're going to authenticity. Correct. Um, How many people here, don't have to raise your hand, the answer I I imagine is everybody. How many people here have like some sort of imposter syndrome in their life? Well, you're all on a chizik mission, so let's just assume that you all have some level of imposter syndrome, (laughs) right? Like there's this part of me that's this way. Right? And then there's another part of me that's this way. I kind of feel like I'm a bifurcated life. Like, like really, I'm up here and I'm pretending to be Rabbi Berg and, you know, like, you know, the whole bearded, like, knows everything type of person, right? But really, you have no idea who I am in my personal life and you have no idea who I am in my heart of hearts. We're all two people, right? There's two words here, klipa and kedusha. Are you familiar with these words, klipa and kedusha? Klipa means shell. And kedusha is... It's wrongly translated as holiness. Kedusha doesn't mean holiness. Kedusha means transparency. What was the other word? Okay. Klipa means shell. Klipa Right. So what that means, right? When you like in Israel. Transparency. Yeah. Same. Same type of concept. We'll talk about what it means in a second. Yeah. It, unity will be a part of that for sure. But let's say, for example, klipa just means shell, right? Klipa, yes. like the, the, the shell of a watermelon is very thick. You can't tell what's happening inside of the shell. Things that are not kadosh are klipa. means their godliness is hidden. <coughs> Things that are kadosh, their godliness is revealed, transparent, right? Or translucent even. So if you think, let's say, for example, somebody mentioned unity. Unity is a function of the fact that the inner truth of our connected souls, right, are all seen. In a state of Kedusha, the natural reaction would be unity, right? So let's say, for example, on October 7th, if you break the shell of a Jew, 
right? Now the inner unity of all Jews has come out. This country has never been more unified. They say since 67. They've never seen anything like this. Haredim, Chilonim, Mizrachim, Batilumi, Sfardi, Ashkenazi, it doesn't matter anymore. It doesn't matter anymore. It's an unbelievable thing to see what's happening in this country. Halavai, it should spread to America. The, the idea that most of us are living klipa-oriented lives, hiding who we are, right, which inhibits us from making deep connections with others, because the space of connection comes from self. Very often the reason why we're frustrated in our relationships is we're not, we know that we're not operating at 100% in our relationships, let's say in our marriages, we know that we're married only about 80-85%, and there's maybe a 15 or 10% gap in the marriage, right? The reason why that gap exists is because we're not willing to show our true self to our spouse. I'm not willing to share with you, maybe because it's too vulnerable, right? I'm not willing to share with you that this is what I'm going through because maybe you're not going to empathize or validate my experience, right? Or you're going to tell me what to do, and I don't want to be told what to do. I just want to be, I don't want the, I don't want, this is not a problem to be solved. I just want to share with you that I'm going through something, right? So we end up hiding 10, 15, 20% of ourselves, depending on who we are, and then we externalize and go, I don't know why my husband is treating me this way. Well, the answer is because you're living in a state of klipa. A true connection can only happen on the level of Kedusha, can only happen on the level of self. So authenticity means I have enough in the tank to confront the vulnerability of life. And vulnerability is the price we pay for love. It's the entrance fee for love. So if we want to be, let's say, a light in the darkness, if we want to live with Amuna, if this is Amuna walking, the world right now is an exceptionally vulnerable place. The question is, will I be authentic? So somebody asked me, I'm going to America, they said, Rebbe, are you going to wear a kafia through the airports? Because, you know, if I just, you know, my beard, you know, tuck in my pay is a little bit more, right? And not because and I need, like, it's not that bad. It depends where you are. Yeah. It depends where you are. I'll share with you, I was in San Diego not that long ago, and I was called a really racist word just walking down the street. I was walking down the street, I was there for, a, for an Eishat Torah Shabbaton, and somebody rolled down their window and called out that word. Where are you from? Right, right. So living in that bubble, right? I'll, I think you're having a. Vi- I happen to work in the Bronx. Like I work in the Bronx too, and everybody is literally giving me the Torah's Torahs. Why? No, why? It's the Jews' world, and why we Jewish people are too weak, and we should be fighting more. Right. So you're so. Right. So so let's. Right. It's it's. It's, it's my. It's it's my. It's my fault. It's my fault for saying it that way. Uh, let me let me see it. Let me rephrase. For sure, you're going to have pockets and meaningful size pockets. I'm not saying this is everywhere. For sure, you're going to have pockets where you can be yourself and you'll have plenty of people behind you. But I think we have somebody here from Seattle who maybe has a very different experience. Right. And I think that if you went on Twitter and you just typed in, right, type in any one of those like biz, big Hasbara accounts. Just scroll, just scroll. How many people are saying nasty things? There is a vulnerability. Be- just because you don't feel it in your... First of all, call a kavotu if you're not seeing it on social media. That's awesome. There's no reason to, right. to be there doom scrolling. If you don't see it on social media, you wouldn't even know it exists. That's right, but, but it does exist. Right? And if you that's, didn't see it on social media, I may not know. Right, that's true. But it still exists. Right? And I think that's the difference. Right? <laughs> right, there's a, there's a difference between, let's say, for example... Um, I have a Talmud who was from L.A. who took the video, went pretty viral, um, outside of the 
outside of the Holocaust Museum, Museum of Tolerance, it's called. Outside of the Museum of Tolerance, so Gal Gadot showed the, the straight video of what happened on October 7th. And there was a pro-Palestinian rally right outside the Museum of Tolerance. If you're living in, if you're living in LA, if you're on Pico, it's different. It, it just is. There are people that are reporting that they're having these types of experiences. If you're in Teaneck and you saw that walkout and you went to that march, you're having that type of experience. The fact that we saw, you know, the, there were Lo Aleinu, those Jews that went and sat with Ilan Omar and had that ceasefire thing, right? It's real. Whether we pay attention to it or not, it's real. So I think to answer your question, this is the second thing. Authenticity means can I show up and be myself? I'm not taking my yarmulke off on this trip. Sometimes I do, but not because I just don't like getting stopped at the, uh, the way, if you look like me, they always assume that you're smuggling something in. So sometimes I wear a baseball cap just to like see if they'll still stop me. Yeah, no, I, I, was, I have like a good, like I have like a whole thing, like I do, I have like a Lakers thing and it's like a whole move. They never stop me when I'm wearing the Lakers jersey. I, I, I know, I know that, I know that probably some people know, but when you dress like that, they don't tend to stop you for taxes. Anyway, the, uh, and it's not like I'm smuggling anything anyway, but it's just funny to get stopped. Anyway, the, uh, but the idea that I could be proudly Jewish. Um, yeah. I know that this, this whole thing is very much geared to what's going on today. <coughs> can, you, can you please also add in with your regular stuff? Yeah, like let's say, for example, what would it look like to be authentic in a relationship? What would it look like to be authentic with your husband? What would it look like to be authentic with your kids and to know that, let's say, my kid is not going to be happy with what I'm about to say right now, but I'm going to show up as the best possible parent, right? Yeah, no, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I mean, what is, let's say, for example, um, there's a vulnerability, let's say, even in the workplace, right? I don't want to, I'm like nervous to say this. I don't want to say this. I don't want to be seen as that person, right? There's value in being authentic. There's value in showing up and saying this is who I am. By the way, that doesn't always mean that you say everything that's on your mind. By the way, I feel like it also, like, number one, self-esteem, then self-esteem. All these things, so all these things, uh, yeah, the order of them will all follow, right? Because if you have a deep sense of self, so then you have the capacity to show up to be vulnerable, right? I have a question. I want to... Let's say you're, in terms of being that authentic play, right? in terms of showing up as a, as a proper wife, as a, as a mother, <coughs> as a friend, as a, right, and where you don't want to, where you, where does a place of, of not wanting to hurt somebody, but, but you have a responsibility to be authentic. Right. So where does that, the balance come in where, you know, you could say like, mavata, mavata, but where you're actually harming the other person by letting them That's just right. so right there's no there's no consequence if i don't show up like if, if i if i let my kid get away with everything i'm creating a monster Correct. right so somebody once told me a great line they said um if somebody ever asks you where you draw the line the answer is somewhere <laughs> right and and i think i believe deeply in our sense of self to be able to intuit what we need to do at that moment and let's say, for example, when we parent from a deep sense of self, so intuitively we say, okay, what's coming up for me? I don't want my kid to be in a fight with me now because we're going on vacation in a week, and I was really looking forward to having this really beautiful vacation. On the other hand, my kid did something that really needs a consequence, right? So the part of me that wants this vacation to be beautiful, I need to tend to that part so that I can know how to do for my kid what they really need right now, right? Or alternatively, this is not the battle to fight. We have much bigger battles to fight. 
So I believe strongly that when a person is deeply rooted in self and they have enough poker chips in the tank, an infinite amount of poker chips, they allow themselves to experience their parts and to be able to say, okay, I have that part. There's nothing wrong with that part, but I'm not going to parent from that part. I'm going to parent from that self. Does that make sense? And then you'll draw the line somewhere. But if it's, if, it, if it's creating a monster, like that's what the point is. Yeah, if it's creating a monster, I imagine that you're parenting from parts, right? Right, so here is, or it could be with a friend, it could be with or whatever. Yeah. But that part of being clear that this is an overstepping of a boundary and where right. one asserts himself or one does not, like... We have to live with that authenticity of I will not allow myself to be treated this way, let's say by a friend, but at the same time with compassion that I know my friend is going through something. So we're going to draw the line somewhere. It's going to be a million different places in a million different relationships. There's no formula that I could give you. I can't say do this in this situation, this in this situation, this in this situation. Somebody called me recently and they said my friend is going through Gehenna, but honestly she is all over me. I have no space for myself. And I was like, okay, your friend is going through Gehenna. It happens to be I know that friend is going through Gehenna. Um, is this the time where you want to stand and draw your line in the sand? And she said, no, I, I think right now she's in so much pain that to pull back from her right now would be an act of cruelty. I said, okay, so right now you're willing to be able to say, I'm gonna draw the line somewhere else because we're gonna make a boundary a different time. Other times she'd say, no, I, I can't do it anymore. And maybe that's from a deep sense of self. So I can't tell you where the line is. I can only tell you how to do it. There is a line. Of course there's a line, right, for sure, but somewhere. And from it, right, and sometime and from a deep place of self. Okay, we have three more, and I think we only have like eight more minutes until our Berkowitz comes. So I, I personally would stay forever, but I think you have an amazing opportunity here from a Berkowitz, so I'm just going to go a little bit faster. Um, and Chaval, because all of these are beautiful, and we could spend an hour on each one of these. Um, and maybe a Berkowitz will be late, so who knows? Uh, Amna. Amna means to be loyal or faithful. Mordechai was, um, I'm sorry, Esther was Amnaito. She was loyal to Mordechai in the palace of Achashverosh. What does it mean to be loyal? It means to know that we are always in a state of connectedness. The soul can never be severed from God. Never. Afal pishachata Yisrael. No matter how far a person leaves, they're always deeply connected. I'll share with you that a, a chavr of mine who lives in the Czech Republic, who's totally off the derech, will eat pork on Yom Kippur, used to be my chavrusa, wake up 5 o'clock in the morning to learn with me before we went to work when we were working in the summers. Mamish, um, nothing from nothing. And there are times that he's told me, I don't, I'm not a Jew. Like, it's a ridiculous thing to say that I'm a Jew. My father had a national identity of Jewish, but I'm not Jewish. And he posted on Facebook at the start of the war, I'm Jewish. And I was like, I've ne I haven't heard him say anything like that in years. The, the nature of a Jew is we cannot be cut off from our Judaism. A soul can never become impure. And we say that every morning in davening, right? Part of the challenge, I think, of what's happening in the world right now is we're so deeply identified um, by our shame. Shame means I'm unworthy of love and connection because of the way that I behaved. Not a part of me behaved this way because I was coping and so that it was, I didn't show up as my best self, but I am my worst moments. That's what everybody, every kid right now, this is like all 16-year-old kids. If you want to know what's happening in the world of 16-year-old kids, it's I did an Avera and now I am an Avarian. I'm a bad person. And it's not true, it's not a Jewish outlook, it's actually much more a Christian outlook than a Jewish outlook, but the notion that the soul remains un 
unsevered from God. I'm always going to be in a state of attachment, right? You heard from Rabbi Yaakov Danishevsky, right? So the soul will always be in a complete state of attachment to God. So that means that what we do to cope doesn't define us. And so play it out first, let's say, in the realm of relationships. Have you ever had a really bad parenting day? Like where you just behaved in a way you're like, that was not okay, right? Right, and you, whatever you did, you were passive aggressive or straight up aggressive or you were totally not present or you were just like, you need to go away from me now. You just need, like, for your own safety, you need distance from me, right? You ever have a moment like that? So then you start to say to yourself on some level, right, there becomes this inner negative voice of I'm inadequate as a mother, right? And that, that, that exiled wound of unworthiness, right? The mother of all wounds. If, I, if I'm not adequate as a mother, then I'm not worthy as a person, right? That's a really hard thing to feel, right? Um, my husband said something that triggered me. I know it had nothing to do with him. That trigger was born 30 years before I met him, right? Like that was like intergenerational trauma that I brought into this relationship just now. Knowing that the soul can never be disconnected from God means that no soul will ever be truly disconnected from any other soul. And I'm not defined by my worst moments, right? So in the world of, let's say, rupture and repair, we can stay in repair if we believe that we have an infinite soul. What's that line from John Gottman? The difference between master and disaster couples is how they stay in repair. Everybody has ruptures in their relationship. The question is, do we have enough in the tank to stay in repair? And to say that I'm not defined by my coping mechanisms, I'm not defined by my lowest moments, this relationship is not defined by our lowest moments. You said a master and disaster. The difference between a master and a disaster, disaster couple is how we stay in repair. Right? Yeah, it could be a million things, right? It could, be, it could be sitting down with your loved one, your husband, and saying, I really messed that up and I'm sorry. Right? It could be, I really want to hear from you what that experience was like because I saw that I triggered you and I didn't know what I did and I don't want to do it again because I really do care about you. It could be, um, what you said really hurt me and I want to share with you why, because I care about you. Right? And so I want to make sure that we're you know, moving always towards each other even when often it feels like we've moved away from each other. Right? We're always falling upwards in our relationships. But if we're defined by our shame, so then... <coughs> we're never going to be enough in any relationship because what I am fundamentally is wrong. How many kids walking around today think that they're wrong? Like as people, like I'm wrong because I've done this. I'm wrong because I don't like that. It's, it's, it's hard, you know, it's a really hard space to be. So having an infinite amount of godliness in the tank tells a person I'm not wrong, I am okay, I'm capable of being in relationships and I'm not defined by my lowest moments. Only because we're running out of time, I'm going to move a little bit faster. This one is really hard. Uh, umnus, which means that God is an artisan or a craftsman, which means that every single moment is perfectly designed to be exactly what it is. And I am always in the space that I need to be by design. And that is the secret of joy. I used to drive on the Van Wick. Oh, my gosh. Right? The... Uh, <laughs> So I would sit in traffic for, you know, on a Sunday morning. Yes, correct. That's a, tr- that's a tremendous line. I'm definitely going to steal that from you. So, I, so there's always people that drive the shoulder of the Van Wick because they're just like, I'm done with this. I'd rather take the ticket. Right? Um, on a Sunday morning to drive from the five towns to, to Queens is like a 17-minute drive. 
on a Monday morning, it's an hour and 15 minutes, you know, like, even with the construction, you know, like, it's, it's um, so you always see that person who's, like, late to a meeting and, like, punching the steering wheel. You ever see somebody, like, in the middle of, like, road rage is terrifying, no? You see, like, a person, like, turning beet red and screaming in the car. <coughs> the reason that they've lost joy in that moment is because they think the moment is wrong. This is not the way it's supposed to be. Right? My marriage is not the way it's supposed to be. My children are not the way they're supposed to be. My house is not the way it's supposed to be. My community is not the way it's supposed to be. The world is not the way it's supposed to be. As long as you're in that space that you're saying, this moment is chaotic, this moment is haphazard, there's no sense of joy. Joy comes from knowing that I am exactly where I need to be. Everything is exactly as it should be. The only question is, how do I respond appropriately to what's happening? So you can hold, the definition of emotional maturity is to be able to hold two conflicting emotions at once, right? So I can hold a tremendous amount of pain because what's happening is exceptionally hard and a tremendous amount of joy because I know exactly what's happening is exactly what I need. So that rupture that I just experienced with my child or my husband is going to be what we need in order to make this family more beautiful. And while it might be exceptionally painful and I could tend to that wound and I could say, I'm going to give that wound space to, to breathe, to heal, to be able to say I'm hurt. I'm not losing myself to that wound, right? A lot of people today don't want to feel a feeling because they feel like if they feel the feeling, the feeling is going to overtake them. The reason the feeling will overtake you is because you think the feeling is wrong. I shouldn't be having this feeling. And any time we think about something that it shouldn't be here, right, we give it more power. So it starts to hold on to us a little bit deeper. Right? So knowing that everything that's happened in the world over the last seven weeks is exactly as it should be is the secret to this entire country's success. Right? What happened is exactly what it should be. The question only now is how do we respond? That's why you only hear very little glimmers of like, well, who are we going to blame for what happened on October 7th? You hear about it for a minute and then it's gone. People don't do that. That's not where we are right now. We're not in the process of looking backwards. We're in the process of looking forwards. It's the same thing with our children, right? My kid is not as he should be, right? We all have that one kid that's not as they should be. Hopefully it's only one. Yeah. I have one. And honestly, she's my most talented kid. But she is not as she should be sometimes. There is not a thought that's come into her head that doesn't immediately come out of her mouth. She's just like, it's there. And I say, I'm like, I say to her, I'm like, do you realize like, your words... Like, don't have to come out of your mouth. And she goes, there, it's much more fun this way, though. I'll like, you know. And my ability to parent her is, if I'm sitting there going, you're wrong, my capacity to parent that child is going to be severely limited, right? Alternatively, she's exactly as I should be, as she should be. The question is, what now? Right? It's a totally different way. I can be joyous with who she is, even in those more difficult moments. Does that make sense? Okay, and last one, because I do believe her Berkowitz was supposed to be here already. And then anyone who wants could ask me afterwards. Yeah, um, to be an omain, to be someone who loves, to be someone who nurtures. Um, the definition of love, and I think a lot of people give like a very glib definition of this. They say like to love is to give. You've heard that before, right? Really, if you think about what love is, the ultimate act of love was the creation of the world. The creation of the world starts with Hashem pulling Himself back to create space for creation. Love is about pulling ourselves back to create space for another. That's what love actually is. The thing is, it's very hard to pull yourself back if you feel like you're going to like, step off the cliff, right? If I don't have enough in the tank, and now I'm going to be giving to everybody else, right? then I don't have the capacity to pull myself back. So my husband, you know how like, husbands do this? Can you just do this one thing for me? It's like, are you serious? Just one thing? 
Do you understand that your just one thing is coming on the, like, on the heels of 1,000 other just one things? Right? So you start to take it deeply personal because you're overwhelmed and I don't have enough and I don't know how to make space for this because I'm already overwhelmed, right? So my capacity to make space for another is directly dependent on how much I have in the tank. To nurture and to love the people in our lives, especially in dark times, only comes when we have the capacity to know I am fundamentally okay. And so just to review very quickly, if you have enough in the tank, and you can follow the progression now, and we'll finish with this, and then you have Rav Berkowitz, Baruch Hashem, who's here. Number one, self-esteem, deeply rooted in self. I have an infinite amount of poker chips in my tank. Number two, I can be authentic. I can show up in my relationships as real. I don't need to be afraid or to people, please. Number three, I can be loyal. I can be remain in a state of connectedness even when I feel hurt. Number four, every single moment is exactly as it should be so I can live in a tremendous state of joy. And number five, I have enough in the tank to pull back and create space for others. Even when I feel like I'm up to my head and I've got nothing left and I'm done, there's still an infinite amount of space inside of me. That child, that husband, that community member, that friend, there is a space for them. It's not over just because... I feel like I'm done. There's so much to draw from. I'll share with you one final thing before we leave because it's a beautiful story and I can't, I can't leave you without telling you the story. There's a story of Rav Shaila of Kerestir, the great tzaddik Rav Shaila. And Rav Shaila, when he was a young man, his rebbe was Rav Herschel. And Rav Herschel was watching Shaila very intently when Shaila was giving out the bokalach. He was pulling out bokalach, little rolls from the bag. And Rav Herschel was watching him very deeply. And Rav Herschel, somebody asked Rav Herschel, why are you watching Rav Shaila like draw from the bag, like it's not a big deal, he's just pulling out rolls from the bag. And Herschel has said, that bag ran out of rolls like an hour ago. And he's pulling from an empty bag and he's taking out these bolkalach. And I think that that's the call for many of us. The call for many of us is we feel like we're running on empty, we feel like I've got nothing left, but if you have an infinite amount, then somehow you can reach your hand inside of that bag and pull out what doesn't exist. We should be blessed to be able to do that as Hanukkah approaches. Amen.